Awesome. It magically appears. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, ladies. And Ben. The Bible talks about wisdom and discernment. I've been thinking for a week or two about those two words. I think we live in a time when there is a great need for wisdom and discernment. Don't you? And I thought, how do you explain wisdom and discernment to people? How do you explain wisdom and discernment? Well, I, I think I understand it a little bit. And I think you'll understand it if you've ever taught a child to drive. You ever had, you ever had the, 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 uh, the blessing of teaching a child to drive? I, I have taught all my children to drive. And, and, and there is a, there's a moment when you're in that process where you wonder about their wisdom. You know what I mean? When they're, when they're getting behind the wheel of the car and you're hoping that they have enough wisdom not to kill both of you, that they have, they have learned from the examples of their family things that they should do and things they shouldn't do. And they, they, wisdom is that the, the, the knowledge that, get, that you're gaining in that point. Discernment is understanding that when your father drives 85, you should probably not. So you get what the difference? Discernment, bringing wisdom to discernment, wisdom and discernment come together as partners in this relationship. The child you hope has gained enough wisdom to be discerning about what they should copy and what they should not. Have you ever driven down the road with your children after they've gotten their license and seen yourself behind the wheel? Have you ever thought, wow, that's not very discerning of them to do what I do? Parents, when we say, do as I say, not as I do, we're asking them not to be discerning. Well, kind of. Wisdom and discernment. The Bible calls us to wisdom and discernment. There's actually a gift of discernment among the spiritual gifts. Some of us have more of it than others. I always think that you quiet folks are really discerning. I do. Being a not very quiet person, I always think, oh, these quiet people who are, who are right now not saying anything are being thoughtful and discerning and mulling over the conversation. And soon, like E.F. Hutton, some pearls are going to come out. It happens. Doesn't always happen. But I, I want us to get our mind kind of around the basic idea. And then I want to jump into the text in Matthew chapter 10 and look at it from a perspective of Jesus sending out the disciples. And I want, want to bring you into this passage um, as, as Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says of them, I want you to be wise as serpents and harmless as dove or doves or in, as innocent as dove. I would like you to be wise and harmless or wise and probably the best translation is actually innocent, but the one you're accustomed to is wise and harmless. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read a bit of this passage. <clears throat> and as we do, I hope you'll follow along in your Bible or in a device. I don't know. Do, do you have the same trouble I have with the devices? It just doesn't have the same feel. I, it feels like I should speed up maybe when I'm reading my, my phone. It's like something on there makes me want to put it at 1.5 time and get through it more quickly. You know, I, I, you, I, I listen to a sermon in 
in double time recently. First of all, you get through it really fast. Second of all, you have to listen intently. You got to really pay attention at two point time. I'm going to talk faster just to keep everybody's attention. I'm going to read verse 1. Verse 1 says, When he, Jesus, had called the twelve disciples to him, he gave them power. Stop right there. Because we read the next line and we get all caught up in what he's given them power over. He gave them power, which indicates that prior to this, they did not have power. Got it? So at this moment, something is changing in their lives. This is an interesting time biblically because from this point on, the disciples seem to be full-time at this job. They seem to be full-time in the discipleship role. They're no longer part-timers. They're no longer semi-pro. At this point, they go from semi-pro to pro. Okay? And this Jesus lists a team in this text. There's a whole lot of things going on. It's like everybody gets a uniform now. They have their name on the back and their number. You know, it's, this is the moment when they go from semi-pro to pro. When he had come to his 12 disciples, or when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of diseases. This is an interesting gift. If you think about this gifting, this gifting stays with them all the way through their apostleship. From discipleship to apostleship, as they're growing in their testimony, the the gift is growing with them. I don't know if you've thought about discipleship and apostleship much. It doesn't seem to be hugely different. I mean, it's the same 12 guys. It's a difference in role because there's no longer one to follow. If if you don't have someone to follow, you're technically no longer a disciple. You now have shifted into a leadership role. And so they go from apostle to disciple, or from disciple to apostle when Jesus passes. The list of the names is there. I'm not going to go through it. I want to skip down to verse 5. If you want to read the team, there's the team. I just, I have this. Temptation. This is the this is the ADD, easily distracted thing. I just want to read the team like you're announcing an elephant. No, not going to do it. Not going to do it. It would, be, it, would, it would just it would get me all lost in what I was, from what I was wanting to do. So verse five, you people are bad for me. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you heard this message before? Have you noticed that this is the repeat of what Jesus was being was doing? Back in Matthew chapter 4, 5, as you're introducing Jesus and what he's teaching, it says that he began to preach the kingdom of heaven. So what he's doing is he's handing off the message, the ministry, the things that he's doing. He's handing it off to this group. Now you talk about the kingdom. Now you teach them about the kingdom. You've been around for a little while. You've been hanging around for a little while. It's probably about A.D. 29. You've been getting the information. You've kind of collecting some ideas and seeing some things. It's, you, you get it now. It's time for you to actually go out and share it. Now you talk about the kingdom. You tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You go and spread the message. Verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Now stop. Jesus gives them the power to do all of these things. Do they know? Because he's told them to go and do these things, but you don't actually know what you are empowered to do by God until you step into the calling of God. 
right? I would never have seen myself in this place. I actually thought of myself perhaps someday standing in front of a jury box and arguing, but I never thought of standing in a church. And it took a lot of convincing to get from jury box to church in my head. But thinking through that and experiencing that, you're always wondering if you have the skill set. You're always asking me, God, are you sure? At least preachers, those you preachers in the group, at least that's what we want the preacher to say, right? We want the preacher to be a little humble about their skill set and be a little kind of curious saying, well, God, are you sure? You know me. You sure about this? Because the guy who says, I'm your man, put me up front, put me in, coach, I'm a little worried about that guy. Or gal, as the case may be. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. And then, here's your why. We talk a lot about the why in the present tense. We say, you you should know what your why is. You should know why you're doing something. How it's to be done, what is to be done. They've gotten the what. The what is preach the kingdom and go about healing and, and caring for people. And the why is because freely you have received. Freely give. You have been blessed in these semi-pro years hanging out with me. You've received a great deal from me. Now go and give away freely what I've given to you. Freely you have received. Freely give. So the what is to preach the kingdom. The why is because it was so freely given to you and so transformational in your life. Now you freely express what you've experienced. And then there's a whole bit bit of how here that we skip over sometimes, but it's a very important thing. You see, the coach is now giving direct expression to how they're going about their next step. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belt. (laughs) Not gold. Not silver. Not even copper. Take no money, nor a bag for your journey. The bag is actually a wallet. It's, to, it's what you would normally carry your money in. Now, if you don't, have, you don't have any money, you don't need a bag. Don't, you, don't have a, you don't even carry a wallet. Don't even carry a bag for this journey. Nor two tunics. Nor sandals. Nor staffs. You can't even take clothes. You can't even take extra clothes. You wear what you wear everywhere you go. This is it. While you're on this journey for me, no extra shoes, no extra clothes, nothing. Just go with what you're wearing. Hmm. We'll come back to this. We'll come back to this. He says, for the worker is worthy of his food. Verse 11, now enter the city or town and inquire who is, who is, the, who is it is that is worthy, and stay there till you go out. Do you know this used to be the methodology for evangelism in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Did you know that? This text, this used to be the methodology for outreach. They would go to a city, they would go to a small town, and they would start asking around, who is the most honest person in town? Who's the most honest person in town? And pretty soon a name would start to repeat itself. Oh, it's Ven. Go to the next person, they go talk to the blacksmith. Who's the most honest person in town? Oh, it's Ven. They go to the hotel where they're going to stay, and they say, who's the most honest person in town? It's Ven. Pretty soon they're like, okay, Ven's the most honest person in town. Where do I find Ven? And they, they point him out. Oh, you, you, you just go down to the saloon. You'll see him on the end table. You've got to go where God sends you. 
I didn't say he wasn't having milk, by the way. And this was the process. They would go and find that person, and they would say, I'll have some things to tell you about God. I'd like to give you some information about God. And they would preach the Sabbath message. They would tell them about Jesus and his second coming. And the most honest person in town was a very important person because he became a testament on their behalf going forward. Jesus uses a Samaritan woman. He tells the disciples, go find a worthy person because you're not ready for a Samaritan woman yet, guys. You, don't, you are still, you're pro, but you're rookies. Just rookies. Now I've lost my place, so I will find it. Verse 11, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is worthy and stay, with, stay there till you go out. And when you go into the house, whole household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from the house or the city, shake off the dust from your just shake off the dust. Be on your way. Don't even carry the detritus of that community along the road with you. Now, shaking off the dust is a literal thing. Shake off the dust. It was a symbol that you were walking away from all these things. But think about shaking off the dust in your time, in your life. What are the practical spaces where you need to shake off the dust? When something's going wrong, when something is hitting you, when there's some struggle, some battle, and you need, to, you need to walk away. Some of us need to walk out of those situations to shake a leg. To say, oh, I'm letting that behind. I'm not bringing any of that with me into the next step of life. Just going to leave behind all of that stuff that person just said, or all the weight that just fell onto me. I'm going to shake it off. I think if we walked around doing this, it would be really interesting to see. Go do this and say, behold a lot. It would be interesting to see how people respond. Behold, I'm shaking my leg. Sometimes I say weird things to you guys, and sometimes you do it. It's amazing to me. Verse 15, Assuredly, I say unto you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the day of judgment for that city. Lastly, Behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves, Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Did you catch it? Did you catch all of it? There are lots of bits and pieces. There are lots of things to be said. I'll try not to keep you for the rest of the afternoon, but where were you going to go? First of all, the calling of Jesus is always an empowerment. No matter what the calling is, I don't know who among us is feeling a calling right now, but somebody is. There's always a calling. And God is always moving among His people. So there's always a moment when God is moving us in a direction, calling us to something. I felt some of it this week myself. I actually read something that I'd written months ago, and I was reading through it and thinking, hmm, where are you moving me? What are you doing, God? What are you wanting next? What is it, what is it that you're saying to me through my own words? What have I left behind? What have I dropped that I, I need to pick back up? And I just started started analyzing what work I was doing for God and what work God wants me to do and asking about that next calling because there's always a next calling. 
There's always more to be done. The kingdom is huge and the need is great. And the world is even bigger than the kingdom. And it just needs to hear from you. But the calling of Christ is an empowering call. He says to them, says to us, Matthew says to us, Jesus empowered them to do some amazing things. And then a few minutes later he said, oh, by the way, I want you to go out into the communities and I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. He says this like these are things everybody does. They had seen him do it, but now he's saying, you copy me, go and do that. Can you imagine the first time they went up to somebody with leprosy and said, Jesus said to me that I I should uh, ask God to heal you. Are you okay with that? You know, this is how we go about it at first, right? We first step into these calls a little trepidatiously. We're a little kind of, I don't know. And our voice has that little third grade squeak in it still. And we ask with those upwardly turned phrases, are, are you okay with that? Because we're scared. And then something happens, something miraculous happens at your hand. You pray for someone and they get better and you don't, you, you don't have any right to take any credit. And you realize God has done something amazing with your hand. He empowers them and sends them out. And in that, that amazing moment, that's when that semi-pro-to-pro thing takes place. That's, that's when they move out into a, to a calling that is full-time. They have been dabbling in discipleship. And now they're diving into discipleship. You know, they've been waiting. They've been doing the proper Sabbath waiting, keeping it below the knees. We're keeping it below the knees. We're keeping it below the knees. And now Jesus is saying, look, buddy, it's time to go all in. And he challenges them saying, go and do some things that are impossible for you. And they do. And this becomes then their job. Prior to this, they're fishermen. They're zealots. They're people from various walks of life and various families who keep returning to their homes from now, now and again. And at this point, this becomes what they do. And this will be what they do until they close their eyes for the last time. You can be a disciple for the rest of your life. Or you can be an apostle. You can be a person who does this thing only. I, I don't know of which calling you have. I don't know if God is calling you into something that will take you into mission field or into some calling in education or some place where you spend your life engraving Christ's name on the hearts of other people. Could be happening with some of you folks today. If you have been trying to be a semi-pro disciple, can I ask you if you would be willing to try pro-disciple mode? You know, you play video games, you've got those easy modes. I know, my, my kids only let me play their video games on easy mode. Because it's way too frustrating. I don't play much with them because it's frustrating on easy mode for me. And so I, just, I literally, it's like, no, you guys play and I'll just watch you guys and be oppressed. Because I don't want to play. Because it's so hard trying to get my fingers to do all the things they need to do. 
Sometimes I think we do discipleship, we do followership, we do the walk behind Christ as if it's a part-time thing, it's just a sometimes thing, it's just a Saturday thing, it's not really an all-the-time thing, it's not a I pray at night thing, it's not a I study my Bible daily thing, it's not a I'm engaged with Christ asking Him where I should go every moment of the day thing, it's just a thing. It's an add-on thing, not a holistic thing. It's easy to do it. Even once you complain that you, I want to, or once you've declared I want to be a holistic, vol- vol- <laughs> I would like to be holistically involved with Jesus. I speak for a living. This is what I do. Mouth, words, they're supposed to be normal. Not. But you consider the fact that, that most of us try to do this, even those who've committed wholeheartedly and plan to do it 100% of the time, fall back into this. We fall back into a 20%. 30%, 10%. We fall back. We move back out of it. I'm not saying quit your job, necessarily. Some of you might be called to that. But I'm not saying that's in every, every person calling. There were only 12 apostles called. Thirteen if you count Paul. But if Christ is calling you, try making it an everyday thing. See what happens. Try making it a, I ask God before I do stuff thing. I stop in the middle of my day and I say, is this a good thing for me to be doing, God? Do you want me to do that? Shall I go here? Shall I speak to them? What? You know, just kind of get used to inviting God into the pace of your life so that as a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, moment-to-moment thing, every, you're, you're just calling out to heaven and saying, hey, uh, God, if I'm going to be meeting with so-and-so. I'm going to be walking into this situation. Uh, please come with and would you lead? And if you don't want me to go, shut the door. And then watch what happens. Some of you have done it and you know what happens. You know he shuts doors and opens doors and you, <laughs> things come out of your mouth you didn't know were in your brain. And this semi-pro to pro thing is a cool change, a, a cool step. If you look at what happened to these guys, they come back shocked. Even the demons obeyed us. They're, that's the word. They come back, and I don't know, they healed the sick, raised the dead. I don't know what I did with that, but they're, what they're amazed by? Even the demons obeyed us. Crazy. Big smiles on their faces and wonderment in their eyes. For freely you have received. Trying to get that together. Freely give. Know your why. Know your why. The death of Jesus. The life, his life for your life. Freely given. People wonder if Jesus really states the gospel the way the Apostle Paul starts to state the gospel. Do you see it here? You've received salvation freely. You've received the presence of Christ freely. You've received the blessings of God freely. When Matthew comes to write this gospel after the death of Jesus, this is what he recalls of the conversation. The conversation gets written down in other places. Other disciples recall different things. But when Matthew writes it down, he writes down this phrase, for freely you have received, freely give. You have been blessed by God with open hands. He's poured it into your life. He's poured it onto your heart. 
freely you have, have received. You've been, you receive from God such immense and amazing things. Absolutely freely. Give it away. Give it away. You are not a container. You're a conduit. You get the difference? A container holds things in. You pour things into a container to hold those things. A conduit passes things through. That's what we are. We're not containers for the blessings of God. We're conduits of the blessings of God. We are, go, we are called to go around the world blessing people with the blessings we've gotten from God. You know, I, I, God answered a prayer for me. You know what I need to do now? I need to go out and say, find somebody to say, you know what's amazing? It's amazing. God answered prayer for a guy like me. God answered a prayer for a guy like me. I'm a guy like you. You're a guy like me. We're just guys. That God answered a prayer for me. It's amazing. That's what a conduit is. That testimony is not something you learn. It's something that you are. When you're sharing, when that, when, that, when that stuff is flowing out of you, it's not something you're trying to bottle up and carry around. You're not something you have to learn and have an outline for. It's simply the expression of what God has done for you. And it can be big, it can be small. It can be an amazing thing God has done. It's just something simple that touched your heart. Have you ever heard the answered prayer of a little child? been blessed to your socks by it because they just say I asked God to take care of this it could be it could be anything kids little kids play about pray about everything I asked God to take care of my kitty and he did and they always do that at the end like I'm a little surprised but I'm pretty thrilled by it and he did you know it gets that face like you know the face. It's this, this thing that when we all, we all have this face. We do this at times. You know, it's the smile, the raised eyebrows, the raised shoulders. It's like, we're kind of surprised, and it's really cool. He did. He, he answered. There needs to be a lot more raised eyebrows, shoulders, and kind of like, hey, I don't deserve it. But God is so gracious. He's so amazing. Freely you have received, freely give. The why of this is simple. You have been blessed. Be a blessing. Simple. We live in a messed up world that's there's, where there's a dearth of blessing. Think about how much you could impact people's life and their day just by being a blessing. And it, and it, it can be in almost any form. You, it can take so many forms, it's, it's hard to even think about it. I happened to be at a meal with someone recently. Uh, not recently, it was pre-COVID. So there's, there's not a recently thing. We were sitting in a restaurant, and we were inter- interacting with this, uh, this person in the wait staff. I'm, I like to ask the people their names. I, I don't like the innocuous, I don't know your name kind of thing. So I usually, sometimes to the embarrassment of the people I'm with, will ask the person's name and try to remember it and try to use that name. And we did, and we started to talk to this person, and we were having lunch, and we were having quite a conversation, and we were going back and forth in this conversation, talking to this person, discovered that she was a nursing student, discovered that she was looking for work soon, and my friend happened to have contacts that could help her out. And so my friend, blessing number one, said to her, hey, you know, when you finish, here's my card, call me. And I'll see if I can get you in touch with some people who might want to interview looking for work. Huge blessing in her life. Who knows where that will lead? 
By now, she may have finished. By now, she may have called him. By now, she may be somewhere he sent her. I don't know. But what a door. What, a, what an option. What a great thing to set on someone's doorstep. You have something that could be a blessing to the person in front of you, and you have the opportunity to be a container or a conduit. Then we, we, we had, uh, really, she had uh, this, per, this person, I don't think there were very many customers that day because they were at our table like every three seconds trying to help us out. You need more water. You need more of this. You need more of that. At the end of the day, we left. Or we got ready to leave. And my friend, whom I've known for several years and never seen this happen before, he leaves a $100 tip. Now, I don't leave a lot of tips like that. I don't know if I've ever left a $100 tip. But my friend said, this is something I now can afford to do that I've wanted to do my whole life. I wanted to be able to really put something in a person's hands that could not change their life, but could, could really say you were a blessing to them. And he kind of tucked it in so that they wouldn't see it. Kind of, you don't want to leave $100 just laying on the table anyway. And we walked out. No idea what happened after that. But I saw this guy, during the course of this meal, care for this person, be a blessing to this person, help this person, you know, maybe even find a job. I don't know. I don't know what happened after but that person was being a conduit of the blessings God had given to them. That's the, that's the picture. It's not all that difficult. It's living your life looking for opportunities to be a blessing to somebody else. That's all he was doing. He was just living his life looking for people to bless and looking for opportunities to bless them. There was no, I will give you this money if you pray to Jesus and become saved. If she listened to the conversation, she knew that we were church people because there was a lot of church kind of conversation going on along. But he just blessed her and we walked away. You go around the world, dropping blessings. You go around the internet, dropping blessings. Wise, discerning, thoughtful blessings. Get it? You follow so far? It's not that hard. The pros are called by Jesus to focus. That's the difference between a semi-pro and a pro. It's focus. It's how much, of you, how much effort, how much energy, how much direction, how much eye contact are you going to make with this? The pros are called to focus. I'm going to give you a couple of things. First, he says to them, do not go to the way of the Gentiles. Do not, go, do not enter a Samaritan town, but go to the lost, child, lost tribes of Israel. He narrows down the mission. When you narrow the mission, you focus the mission. I want to say a, a quick couple things about this. There are some times when you do not want to be in the presence of the Gentiles because you're too weak. Right? These guys had no business going up to a Roman centurion and trying to have a conversation about Jesus. They weren't ready yet. And Jesus said, you guys go to the lost tribes of Israel. Go to the places where it's easy for you, where the language is common. You understand what's going on. You understand the culture. Don't go into Samaria. You're going to get eaten alive over there. Just go where you can be blessed. And Jesus sends them out. When you're sending someone out who's decided to follow, decided to do something for Jesus, send them to someplace easy. Mark, 
we always send young pastors to these little dead churches in the middle of nowhere. And I've always thought, that is one of the hardest tasks on the planet. Sergeant Mark is the president of the conference, and I don't get a chance to preach at him much. That was definitely an at you. Or forget, as the case may be. But, but I think it's one of the disservices we do to a young person straight out of college. They don't really have a lot of traction, and we send them to a tough church that has been dying for a while, and they've become calloused and only interested in internal purification. Jesus says to these newbies, you guys want to be pros? Let's give you an opportunity to succeed. Go to the people you know and talk to them. If this is a new thing for you, this idea of blessing someone is new to you, don't get a sandwich board and go to the corner. Talk to the people in your family, the people closest to you. Be a blessing close to home. Learn how to be a blessing close to home your children, your spouse, your relatives, your parents. Be a blessing close to home. Then you can learn to be a blessing beyond the walls of your home. Number one is focus. Number two, professionals have a strategy for execution that makes them dependent. A strategy for execution. They are dependent on the strategy. They're given the strategy and then they're dependent on the strategy. Think about it this way. You go to a professional, for, special, professional sports event, okay? You watch the basketball players play, right? If they follow the strategy well, if it's a good strategy, if they follow the strategy well, the team does better. That's why you have a coach, right? That's why you have somebody given direction. You hope that the person who's given the direction actually knows what they're doing. And then you become dependent for your success on following through on that strategy, Jesus gives these guys a strategy, and it's a strategy that is actually going to help them learn to depend on him. No money, no wallet, no extra clothes. Have a good day. Would you do that? No backup plans. If Jesus doesn't help you, you are going to fail. You're going to be on the phone calling your mommy soon because you are busted. You don't even have a clean pair, a new pair of shoes or a clean pair of pants. If you only have one suit of clothes, how do you wash your clothes? I think it's a fully clothed dip in the river. They get rebaptized. You need to be rebaptized. You're starting to have an odor. Send them out two by two so that somebody could tell you you had an odor. Go get baptized. These are things that I wonder about. But I want you to understand that in the execution of this plan, faith is built. It's the same thing that happens when your boss gives you a strategy at work and you start following the strategy and there's success at the other end. When you walk through the strategy your boss has given you, and it actually does what they said it will do, you have more faith in your boss. 
When your coach gives you a strategy to grow your abilities in some area of your life athletically and you follow that strategy and you're better and you're more successful, you have more faith in your coach. If your professor tells you that if you really want to learn this, you should do this to get this point, to get this information, and you follow what the professor says and you get the information, suddenly you have more faith in the professor. You get it? Strategic dependence creates faith in the author of the strategy. Got it? People spend billions of dollars on self-help books that are just basically doing this. Here's a strategy. Try it. Lose weight. Grow taller. Get your hair back. Learn to be smarter than you actually are or smarter than everybody else, depending on the book. They become dependent because they execute the strategy. And lastly, the professionals are told to keep their head in the game. Keep your head in the game. Verse 16, be wise and be innocent. I'm sending you out. This is an interesting phrase. I'm not sending you out where there might be wolves. I am sending you out among the wolves. You're a sheep completely it's completely out of your own uh, ability, outside your own ability to protect yourself, and I'm sending you out among the wolf pack. Off you go. I, l- I listen to what Jesus is saying. This is, this is like the call to death, poverty, and embarrassment. Go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. All right. And oh, by the way, take nothing. And oh, by the way, you could die. I send you out as sheep among wolves. Here's my advice to you. Be wise as a serpent. And harmless as a dove. Martin Luther King put this well. He said, being wise as a serpent. It's, it's, it's a mind that isn't easily twisted or turned. It's a focused mind. It's, it's, a, it's a mind that's determined to, vis- to move in one direction, determined to do what the call is calling you to, determined in, to face whatever comes at you, determined to, to go in this direction, to set your compass and follow it, no matter what you face as you go. Be wise. As a serpent. Serpent's a weird thing to, to tell us to emulate. The serpent goes back to the garden, not a good, a good start for things. But you think about serpents. They're always underfoot. They're actually, if you see them first, fairly easy to put an end to. If you see them first, if you see them second, they can do a little damage. They're Surprise attackers slithering quietly into your presence. They really don't want to be in your presence. They're just passing through. And so they're wise to stay out from underfoot in general. And unless you confront them, they don't react. He said of this tough-mindedness that if you're only tough-minded, you will be isolated 
from the love that links you to other human beings. Jesus didn't say only be wise, only to be strong-minded, only to have your head on straight. He didn't say only to be that. He said to be that and to also be innocent. We're not often in the presence of innocence anymore, you know? We are not often in the presence of innocence anymore. It's what, it's what it makes us admire children so much. It's why I think Jesus called us to be like little children. Little children have an innocence about them that is created by, I hate to put this word there, by their ignorance of the horrors of the world. Before you know what's scary, you're not scared. Before you know you have a reason to be frightened, you're not frightened. You must be taught. You have to be taught before it's too late. Do you know the rest of that song? The line in the song. Pastor Tim would be very proud right now. It's from the South Pacific. You must be taught before it's too late to hate all the people your relatives hate. And I think you could sing the same song to fear all the things that your friends fear. To be shocked, you have to be taught how bad the world is. Innocence is a difficult thing to maintain. Innocence in two lines. You know, he, he tells them not to go into the way of the Gentiles or the cities of Samaria. I wonder if exposure to the lifestyles in those places was also to be avoided. You're not ready to stand against the temptation that might be found in those places. You need to, you need to stay out of those things. It can be tough to maintain your innocence there. I would, as you're pretty sure I do this regularly, and I'm probably going to keep at it, be careful what you let through the portals of your mind. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you read. Be careful what you intake. Be careful that you guard your heart and your mind. That you you know what's coming through the windows of the soul. That your practice about an attempt to remain as innocent as possible in a world like the one we live in. We live in the armpit of the universe. It's tough not to get a little stinky. But try. But we can try. We can, we can stay out of the direct line of fire that corrupts the mind and the heart. Be as wise as serpents. Be as gentle as doves. I think, I think that we all avoid the statement about the wise of the wisdom of the serpent because it's the serpent. But if you consider that the serpent is constantly trying to not be stepped on, you might get it. There's some wisdom in being thoughtful about where you go and what you do. It's a tough little creature. If you push it, it'll bite you. It's not going to, it's not going to be stepped on easily. It's going to make you pay if you're going to step on it. You know, there's a toughness to the little creature, but its, it's, it's wisdom is that it's always trying to stay out of those conflicts. The dove, the, the innocence of the dove. Have you ever thought about what a dove does? I have some, some turtle doves that 
fly around my neighborhood once in a while. And they'll sit on the, on the wires. I still live in a part of the neighborhood where there's wires overhead. And they'll sit on the wires. And they'll just coo. You know, they're pigeon friends, cousins. They're annoying. They want to come down and take something from you. They seem to, they seem to be able to leave behind markers of their presence far beyond any other bird. They're distant co- cousins, the gulls. You just want to kick them off the pier half the time. Ah, 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 ah. Remember, it's mine, 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 mine. What are the doves? They just hang out. They coo a little. They kind of make life more pleasant because they're there. It's an interesting comparison. He said, you, you need to take a little bit from both of these. Be tough-minded enough wise enough to have your mind work well and be loving enough to care and bless. I'll I'll give you the picture. Jesus hanging on a cross like a lamb before him for shearers is silent. He's taking it. Nails through his hands, through his feet. If there's a tough-minded picture, that's a tough-minded moment. And in that moment, Jesus, Jesus isn't foolishly lashing out. He's not just being tough and hard. In that moment, the guy next to him says, Lord, which must have been the most encouraging thing he heard the whole time. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in the midst of excruciating personal suffering, love breaks through. Gentleness breaks through. Kindness breaks through. And he says to this man, I promise you, you will be with me in the kingdom. That's the picture. Wise as a serpent. Strong-minded as the serpent. And innocent and harmless as the dove. That's, as Jesus always is, our best example. Matthew will wrap the story up when he wraps the story up. The end of the book, Matthew chapter 28, he goes back through this same call. Do you remember the story? Do you remember what happens at the end of the book? Jesus comes back to see the disciples again. The resurrected Jesus comes back and sees the disciples. And what I love in, verse, in, in, in chapter 28 is this little statement, and some of them still didn't believe. I, I, I don't know why that's so important to me, but I am so glad that some of these people who had walked with Jesus, had seen him alive, were still struggling to have faith in what they'd experienced 
The eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him there, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, hey guys, it's still the deal. I still need you to go. I need you to go next and make disciples. I, it's, a, it's a force multiplier. I, I, was, I was noticing that the cop cars in Roseville, I notice cop cars because I'm not always slow, but I, w- I noticed that the cop cars in Roseville and Rockland were almost identical. They're all the same car. They're the same make. They're all black. The only difference is whether it says Rockland or Roseville on the side of the car. And I happened to be, uh, at the time, giving Bible studies to the sister of a local policeman. So I asked, hey, when did they decide to make all the cars the same color? She told me it's a force multiplier. I went, what? It's a force multiplier. Because the cars all look the same when you're driving around Rockland and Roseville. It looks like there are more cops. Like Rockland has more cops, like Roseville has more cops, because they're always crossing over each other's borders here and there. It's a force multiplier. When Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples, it's a force multiplier. It's a force multiplier. Now Jesus is multiplying himself because the disciples will become disciple makers. When the disciples of the disciples become disciple makers, it exponentially blows up. The church of Jesus Christ around the world, the Seventh-day Adventist church is 20 plus million people. The Christian church around the world is a billion people. That means if all of us won one person a year, we'd cover the population in less than a decade. You talk about a force multiplier. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Go and make disciples. It's the same thing he said to them. Okay, guys, go. As you go, you know, just heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, just, you know, ordinary, all the, all the time stuff, do that. And then those disciples were to make disciples who would make disciples and that's where we are, and that's who we are. We are actually the disciples of the disciples of the disciples of the disciples of the disciples. Somebody discipled us, and we're called to do the same. To start with the lost sheep of Israel. To start with the people closest to us. To start with our families. To start with our children. To begin discipling in the place where we are, and begin to spread that ripple out. That we need to go, because when we go, it's throwing a rock in the pond, and the ripple begins to expand. And that ripple eventually clears the horizon. We can't see it anymore, but it's still functioning. It's still going. It's still causing a difference. We throw another rock in, and it creates another ripple, and it spreads beyond what we can see. And across the pond, there's a ripple still growing. And sometimes those ripples run into each other, and they actually multiply, disciple on disciple, throwing ripples in the same directions, and it grows. And sometimes that ripple becomes a wave because four or five or ten or a whole church full of people starts getting on it and getting it done and that thing becomes a wave and it curls to the shore and it impacts massive numbers of people that's the call of jesus on our lives and don't make it complicated 
It's just being a conduit of your own blessings. Freely you have received, freely give it away. Freely you have received, freely give it away. Freely you have received, freely give it away. We fear that somehow we're going to mess up making disciples. The only way you can mess up making a disciple is not trying. Because if you engage, the authority and the power of Christ engages with you. You can't even make a disciple for yourself. They will always become a disciple of Jesus if you point them in His direction. I want to challenge you to multiply yourself this year. Between now and the end of next summer. Multiply yourself. Let's baptize some kid that you talk to. Let's stand there together like we did two weeks ago with Dave. And, and baptize some people you studied with. Let's discover the person who just, maybe they've already committed their heart, their life to Jesus, but they need some encouragement. They need some strength. They need to know that the blessings of God are still flowing. Let's do everything we can to grow the kingdom, to grow it, to grow it internally, to develop it, to strengthen it, to bless the people who are trying to be part of it. And to grow it numerically. Find new people who don't yet know Jesus and tell them about him. And all you have to say is, I know Jesus. This is how that's working for me. Have a nice day. And then you leave a good tip. Let's pray. Father God, we, your church, know that this is our call. Help us not to complicate it. Help us just to give away what we've been given. To be a blessing to the people who are around us. blessing upon each person here. I pray for the person who's come here today who hasn't yet made a commitment to you. They've been around the edges of that commitment, but they're not in. I pray for the person who's kind of lukewarm in their commitment right now. They're not sure about going from waiting along the edges of their faith to diving in. Pray in both cases that you will bring someone who is wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove and point them along the right direction to show them that you are the answer for them too. Encourage them to jump into your arms. Know that you'll catch them.